You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Null and Void sports podcast. A clever mathematical calculation leads me to believe we started this podcast 18 weeks ago. It only seemed like yesterday. Anyway, my name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Now, it was your big walk on Sunday, wasn't it? It was indeed, Tony. Yeah, the uh, Thames Path Challenge, day two. So over the weekend, there were over 2,000 people taking part in various distances along the Thames. Um, some people were doing the 100 kilometres from Putney through to Henley. They started on Saturday morning and some were finishing way into Sunday afternoon or evening. Some did 25 kilometres, um, some did 50 on day one, and I did day two, the 50 kilometres from Runnymede to Henley. Well done, well done. And and what, well, I mean, you're not racing in true sense, but what sort of time did you do it to? Uh, the time on the clock was eight hours, 50 minutes, which I was absolutely ecstatic with. That's eight, five, zero for minutes. Well, um, if you'd offered me anything under 10 hours, on Sunday morning before the start I'd have been really happy with that I thought maybe with a really good day and a fair wind nine and a half nine forty five so to come in under under nine I think at the last checkpoint which was at the 38 kilometer mark I was looking at my watch thinking and a sub nine hour could be on here and I could just mm. feel the starting of a blister a hot spot <laughs> on my left foot just under my big toe and I thought if I stop and patch it up that's my nine hours sub nine hours gone out the window so pressed on and by the end of it that was a uh, a fairly hefty blister but uh kept the pace up kept going and yeah got in eight hours 50 minutes and actually ended up in the top 30 men uh, sorry top 30 overall top 20 men um for that distance on the sunday so there were 193 people started the 50k on Sunday, and I came in 29th. There were, I think, 72 men started on the Sunday that distance, and I came in 17th. That's fantastic, mate. You've done really well there. Did really you, did... pleased with it. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And hats off, credit to Action Challenge who organise it. Brilliantly run event. Um, the checkpoints were well stocked. Lots of food to keep you going. Uh, bananas and danish pastries and energy drinks at every other stop hot food in the at the midway point 28 k's we stopped at cookham at the chartered uh, marketing institute uh, grounds very nice very impressive grounds they have there so just before the uh, railway bridge at bourne end so after 28 30 k's you've uh, done on the flat you then get to that railway bridge the footpath over that felt oh, like yeah. the north face of everest at that point <laughs> yeah but you survived well done mate That's, yeah really uh, enjoyed it so already yeah. signed up for the next uh, the first one next year which is their easter challenge around windsor in early april so if anyone else fancies signing up for that get onto the website and uh, join us there uh, we might even get some uh, null and void uh, null and void stash done for that i think yeah, definitely that, definitely that. Well, for me, obviously, 
Ronaldo's return. And I don't suppose you want to talk about that, do you? No, no. Uh, was there any football this weekend? I don't think there was. Was there? <laughs> I'm, I'm denying all knowledge. Um, where's the mute well, button? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me just remind you, Ronaldo, in his second debut for United, scored two goals. United won 4-1. And I think it's fair to say uh, Newcastle came a poor second on the day. But I, I guess for anybody, the emotion of all of that, 76,000 and Ronaldo coming back, it, it, you know, I was listening on the radio because that's the only way you could you could uh, watch it, as it were. Uh, and I was on Five Live. And it, even then, it was just to hear the crowds and, you know, when he scored. For me, uh, it, it, that was a pretty emotional time, you know. So I know it was one all at one stage, but United... Were worthy winners at four-one. Oh, so, definitely. I mean, oh, they they played Newcastle off the paddock, and I think yeah. Newcastle were lucky to come second. I think the uh, and this is to take nothing away from the United players and their performance, but the defence was Sunday League at best. I mean, you stand off players like Ronaldo and um, uh, the, the, the the other forward. Fernando. And, yep, Fernando. Oh, and, yeah, you name yeah, it. You just. You stand off them; they're gonna gonna make you pay. Um, I think Newcastle were very poor. Technical question: well, Does it count as a debut if you've already played for the club before? Well, if you call it a second debut, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the answer to that one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, anyway, it made it special, um, and I think you know something interesting for. Uh, 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 Billy Carter talk about is we hadn't got Ronaldo in the golden boot stakes because he hadn't signed, but he may have something to say about that soon, I think. Yeah, I think I think we need to get him back on and he can talk about that and whether he wants to reevaluate his uh any of his predictions uh, Prediction, based on yeah. I think it would be fair to allow that based on new information that wasn't available to him at the I, time. I think now clearly the even bigger story if we're if we're realistic was Emma Radicano winning the US Open. Absolute fantastic, you know, for, for this country, but equally also for anybody who loves tennis to see two brilliant players, and they were both brilliant. And it was a great match. I really enjoyed it. But for her to win at 18, and, and her opponent is much, much older. She's two months older. <laughs> fantastic. In front of all those people, I just thought that was very special indeed. I mean, you know, you know you're getting old when you look at tennis players of that age and think, but goodness, they look so young. They're just babies. <laughs> and uh, I suddenly thought, wow, I am getting old when I, when yeah. I, when I thought that. And, uh, but just phenomenal match. Um, yeah, great performance. And I think, you know, after all the press and the comments about mental fortitude after Wimbledon, and we said at the time when we were talking with, Justin Cook, the tennis coach, we said at the time that we thought that that was just, you know, she's had that mental fortitude. It was just unfortunate. Mm. Um, and I know we we sort of had a pop at the naysayers then. And to see her come through and, you know, when Fernandez had that break point in the second set, I've got to admit, with a 4.30 alarm clock uh, on Sunday morning, I was sat there at that point thinking, I do hope this doesn't go to a third set because I should have been asleep a long time ago already. Um, yeah. So I was quite thankful that she did it. But yeah, 
to two great players um, and hopefully we'll see a lot more of them. I thought it was quite amusing. I don't know if you saw the coverage of the, um, whether it's a telegram or the message she's had from Her Majesty the Queen saying, yes. well done on your great win. Um, yeah. Wonderful performance. It really shows your determination to achieve it at such an age. And you really are inspiring the next generation of tennis players. I thought, well, she she is the next she generation. The next generation. <laughs> She's only 18. A couple of times over. What about the men's final? What do you think about that, Djokovic? She seemed to be incredibly leggy for him. Always, uh, you know, he seems amazingly fit and always comes back fighting. But he just seemed to have that. I, I also think that Medvedev played a very good game in terms of working Djokovic and just played really well, deserved the win. Um, so I don't think we can take anything away from him as a worthy winner. But uh, yeah, it was unusual to see Djokovic struggle in that way. Um, yeah, he think- was, was struggling. There's no doubt about it. On a number of occasions, people were saying he looks leggy. And you just don't say that about Djokovic normally because he's so strong, so powerful. But anyway, there you go. Um, a worthy winner there. Um, we didn't even have a match in the test match. I know you want to rant about this later, but that farcical, wasn't it? Just, I mean, we'll get on to it, but uh, I think we we have a a special section in the show that regular listeners will uh, recognise and know that I'm uh, I'm going to be talking about um, the test match, the BCCI, and the IPL at that point. But just yeah, and and to call it off on the morning of the game, uh, you know, the the fans are the ones I really feel sorry for. There, you know, they'll have travelled, they'll have booked accommodation, they'll have taken time off work, all of those costs. Yeah, they'll get a ticket refund, but all of those costs are lost. And I know we've joked and talked about my misfortune with cancelled events this year. I can actually hand on heart say this is one that I didn't have a ticket for and it's still been (laughs) cancelled. You've obviously thought you were on the way there somehow, (laughs) yeah. But And the Premiership is interesting already with four or five joint leaders. Uh, long way to go. Billy will be pleased. Lukaku scoring again, looking good. NFL season started. Yeah, um, I, I've, I've got to catch up on the games um, from the weekend, as uh, I was saying, otherwise occupied. But uh, I did yeah. catch the game, the Thursday night game, the uh, reigning holders, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, going down to a last minute field goal. But Brady, I mean, if we're talking about Emma Raducanu at 1A end of the age spectrum being brilliant. Tom Brady, still absolutely class act. What is he now? 41, 42. Um, just looked to have all the time and space in the world when he had the ball as the quarterback. So just, you know, someone who, who makes that space around him. And, uh, you know, Gronkowski as well, you know, that partnership that they had for years at the Patriots that took them all the way to the Super Bowl win last year. Yet again, it's sort of like Brady pings the pulls the arm back, pings it forward, and who's on the end of it? But the Gronk um, just it's like you know you could wind the clock back ten years, and we're seeing the same thing just in different jerseys. Yeah, no, a lot more to come from that, of course. Uh, Ryder Cup's not far away, twenty fourth. That starts. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good idea to get if we can get Andy Wilde back in and and give us his thinking uh, at the time or just before then. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. I haven't seen the teams announced yet. I, I'm not sure when the announcement is, but uh, I think that, that should be coming very soon. And it'll be interesting to see who the captain's picks are. Yeah. OK. Um, contacts this week. I've had a couple. Uh, Barry Wood. Remember Barry, who came on and um, look, looked at... Um, uh, well, in fact, he was unusual because I've never heard anybody admit to the fact that they're a lifetime Derby County supporter. And, <laughs> and uh, he did. Uh, so he's he's the first amongst many. But um, the other thing he said, he sent a very nice email, actually, and he said, and he's talking collectively here, I thought you reached a new peak with your interview with Brian McDermott. There was great integrity shown on both sides of the microphone. The beauty of the interview was that you did not have to be a fan of rugby league to appreciate the many points of significance made by Brian. They were truly pan-sporting common sense. The only person I would have liked him to talk about was the significance of Eddie Waring to the popularity of rugby league across our nation at that time. Good point, actually. He goes on to say, talking point, does a, quote, voice of the sport make it easier for any sport to gain traction within the UK audience? <clears throat> he lists a couple of people. And it, this is an age thing, really, but he says cricket, Jim Laker, Richie Benno, mm -hmm. Test Match Special, football, Gary Lineker. Again, you can argue these, and people might want to compete. Rugby league, Eddie Waring. Uh, rugby union, Bill McLaren. Athletics, Seb Coe. Boxing, interestingly, he's got Eamon Andrews, Henry Cooper. He's older than you and I. Um, but he didn't put in there, and I would add to it mine, Murray Walker for F1. Would you add any to that? Definitely. I mean, I, I think uh, for me, again, age-wise, Motti has to be the one, the voice of football for me, John Motson. Yeah. And um, probably athletics, I'd also add in Steve Cram and... Yes. I've gone blank on his colleague from the northeast, Brendan, Brendan Foster. Foster. Um, those two as well. I think, yeah, cricket, you could argue, I think generational, you know, you go right back to um, you know, friends of mine who are maybe a bit older have talked about John Arlott in his West Country Burr yes. on the radio. The great story yeah. about John Arlott when the bowler called Man bowled out a batsman called Man. John Arlott with that West Country Burr just on the radio said. And there we have a great example of man's inhumanity to man. I mean, you can't beat that. I mean, that's great. And Richie Benno, for me, that was the start of the summer when you heard him at Lords, yeah. the first test. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Lords. That just yeah. that that signaled the start of the summer. I think um, looking at other sports, I think you've got uh, some great. I mean, for the, rowing in the Olympics, I think Gary Herbert has made that his own over the past few Olympics with the BBC and certainly his commentary in 2012, Catherine Granger. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you're seeing here that dreams really do come true. I think yes. those sort of things just stand out. So, but, yeah, some great ones. Claire Balding, I think, across Olympic coverage as well. She's been great in everything that she does. So some, some definite Barry, ones there. Barry's done a you know, good point, really, having a, a voice of sport. Maybe... Uh, our, our lovely listener will will come up with uh, their own ideas as well to add to that list. But it was a, it was a good point, and thank you for those comments about 
Brian's interview, Barry. The second one I had uh, was Mike Smith, regular correspondent. He was talking about Jane Story's um, last episode, actually, and he said it was a great episode. Listen to it in the on the way home. I think he drives from Wolverhampton back to Manchester. Um, I really resonated with the pre-Zen uh, moments. Even before the uh, beer touches my lips, I just know it's going to be an awesome drink. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mike there, that's an interesting insight into Mike Smith, the way his mind works. But anyway, he enjoyed the episode. Have you got any, Andy? Yeah, a um, friend of mine, Ken Parsons, got in touch also about Jane's um, uh, discussion on the uh, way that she uses the Zen principles and the Tai Chi principles with golfers. And he said, listen to your podcast um, with Jane's story on the way back from my golf round. Great discussion, great ideas that Jane's um, putting forward and sharing. Wish I'd listened to it a couple of hours earlier. It might have helped me with my expletive deleted round of golf. <laughs> yeah, right. I think we all can relate to that one that play. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, we, we got some lovely feedback on that and we have on so many of the guests uh, recently. But next up, it's your chance to have a run, Andy, because... <laughs> You mentioned we mentioned it briefly before fifth test. What a farce! Get a grip. Absolutely farcical. I mean, to as I said, call off the test the day before, the night before. Um, yes, I appreciate COVID is still around. COVID hasn't gone away. We no. do need to be careful with this, and we've talked about it over the last few weeks about vaccinations. And without getting into that again. The Indian team, as all international teams have done, have travelled with an enlarged squad, 21 players, to be able to isolate sub-in, sub-out players. None of the playing staff tested positive. They were tested a number of times through last week, especially when the first positive cases had been found within the group, the travelling group. Uh, none of the playing staff tested positive. Apparently, the reason that COVID got into the setup was that the squad, players and management staff decided to leave their biosecure hotel bubble and go and attend a public book signing. Mm. And then they're all the, the concern was, well, if we contract COVID and we need to call off the test, because if we contract it, we'll end up missing out on the start of the IPL, which I'll come back to in a moment. Um, and therefore miss out on the big payday. Well, boys and girls, if you don't want to miss out on the IPL and you don't want to miss out on that, how about not going to a book signing in public and following the rules and restrictions that were put in place in the first place? Just right. seems absolutely ludicrous that people would sit there and go, yep, yeah, fine, here we go, Jolly Boys field outing to a book signing and uh, worry about it from there. So that point absolutely preposterous then apparently thursday night the discussions were taking place and at that point india forfeited the match which would have made the series two all but no the bcci the board of cricket in india um, which is a very large and very powerful organization and probably where the power base of international cricket sits 
didn't like that by Friday morning, they'd thrown in their tuppence worth and it had become match abandoned. So the series then stays at 2-1 to India. The ECB, the English cricket board, are now trying to make very uh, placatory noises, almost like Neville Chamberlain coming mm. back with peace in our time, saying, um, you know, well, the Indian board have agreed that we will replay the test at some point in the future. Yeah. Well, yeah. when? When? Yeah. And then it turns out, and again, I have no solid proof of this, but a lot of the allegations in the press are that the IPL franchises were actually chartering planes and seats on planes for their players on Wednesday night. The game wasn't cancelled until Thursday and wasn't announced cancelled till Friday. And yet they were apparently chartering planes on Friday night because even if the players had played, they would have had to then isolate in Dubai for seven days and would have missed the uh, first day or two of the Indian Premier League, the rearranged IPL, which is taking place in uh, the UAE, um, starting this coming weekend. So it just all stinks a bit to me of the fact that yet again, test cricket, the purest form of cricket, the one that certainly I fell in love with and that got me into the game is, and other forms of cricket and the fans wants the, commentate the sorry the tv uh rights wants everything old trafford the amount of food they've had to give away and fair play to them they gave that away to shelters and homeless charities but yes. all of that has been sacrificed on the altar of money and ipl so i would say to the board of indian cricket to the indian cricket team and management who went to a book signing get a grip yeah, it's it's a good rant and and a spot on as well. I just think that's despicable, absolutely despicable, and and that's the nicest thing you could say about that, really. Mm. But, uh, let's move to more positive things, shall we? Definitely, our yeah. Guest, our guest tonight, very special guest, as far as I'm concerned, he's actually someone who works as a personal trainer at the gym that I go to. Sometimes those personal trainers come from let's say, a kind of traditional background from sports, university, college or, or whatever, and, and are on the gym floor. But not this one. Gintas Dagsa has worked for the SIA, the Security Industry Authority, worked for the Kurdish Prime Minister and for Tony Blair. He's been a wrestler up to... Olympic level and is a heavy weight uh, weightlifter. Gintas, welcome. That's quite an introduction because not many people could put all those things together in, in a few sentences there, but you have. Uh, hi, Anna. First of all, uh, thank you for inviting me. It was yeah, awesome. love, lovely for you to be here. Yeah. Gintas, tell me first of all, because I'm sure people will be curious, where does that name come from? What's the family background? Where were you born and so on? Yeah, my, well, my name actually is a Lithuanian and my, my mom is Lithuanian and my dad was Russian. So I've kind of have a, I, yeah, I, had, I had a dual nationality. So, but uh, I'd, call my, I'd say I'd call myself a Lithuanian 
Yeah. Yeah. My surname is Lithuanian, so, and I do hold Lithuanian nationality. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, so I think you've started wrestling pretty early. I don't know of too many eight-year-old or was it six-year-old wrestlers, but why why did you get into that? What what was the you know, was there a lot of people around you who were doing that? What was the reason why you got involved? Well, when I was growing up, I always been interested in sports since since I was since as long as I can remember. It was my dad was ex-military at then, and he was he wasn't a competitive athlete, but he wasn't really like, into sports. Like he'd be a weightlifting, and he was like he'd be a wrestling. So, so from day one, I was interested in sports, but. Back then, there was no many, how to put many, the kind of sports, you know, you have a big choice about. Mm. And the wrestling at that time was, was on a, at a really high level, really popular. And every school, you had, you had your own wrestling teams. So mm. when I started there, lots of, lots of my friends, lots of classmates, they, they all were into the wrestling. And that's how we started, basically, you know, I was... I, I joined the club because uh, ev everyone in the school were part of some sort of like activities club. You know? There was a wrestling, there was a boxing and, uh, and so on. But uh, yeah, I decided, uh, I decided to try it. And, and that's where it started. I think start wrestling. And, and, and at uh, what point then Gintas did you start to realize, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm good at this and it, it's opening up opportunities for me to, take this further well i didn't realize myself you know i was wrestling i thought you know wrestling all the different guys to me looked just normal and i thought this is normal but uh, until my coach is starting to approach me I said right yeah with you know i think you should you know start competing i don't know if yeah why not you know there would be everyone else doing it why i can't <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, i started realizing it took me after that happened about a couple of years later I realized that, you know, I'm actually quite good at it. <laughs> when I was representing at one of the national championships, I was, I think, at that 13 at that time. And so I was uh, wrestling for the 13 to 15 category. But there was a mix-up, something, during that championship. And I suddenly realized I'm wrestling the guys, they look a bit bigger than me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and when that when the championships finished, they realized what happened. I was put in seventeen eighteen category by mistake. Blimey! And then and that's when I that's when you clicked in. I said, "Okay, that now explains why all those guys were bigger than me." <laughs> so they're what three four years older than you, and you're still yeah. holding your own and beating them. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It was hard, and I thought, "God, these guys are tough." You know. <laughs> But then, obviously, after that, I realized what happened. And my, that's when my coaches decided to really push me. And uh, yeah, you took off. I, I started to take it a lot more seriously, obviously, back then. Mm. And uh, I started wrestling with the guys that are bigger and older than me. So at that point, Gintas, what would have a, a normal training week looked like? What would have sort of the sessions have involved? It's always... Training is always to be after the school. So we go in the school because our club was based inside in the school, part of the school. So our normal school day used to start from 
mine in the morning till about well, three, four, even five evening. And after that, we used, to, we used to go straight to that, we call the gym, you know. We used to share the, share the same gym with boxers. So the boxer class used to be earlier. Once they finished, we stepped in. Sometimes we used to have to share the same session. So, and I had, a, at, the, at the same time, I developed a little interesting in the, interest in the boxing. So sometimes we used to come in earlier specifically for that, just train with a boxer, see what it's like. And, and they do the same thing with wrestling. So, so there's quite yeah. a lot of crossover between the two, yeah, two squads. Yeah, because uh, back there, well, I used to, we used to call basically, it still was Soviet times. There was no much funding, you know, to have a great clubs, great gym. So we used what we, what we could, you know, and to us, to us looked normal, looked really good, you know, but when you remember now, what facilities everyone have in UK or in our countries is just the thing, wow, <laughs> you know, we were basically a caveman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you're obviously strong. You're well, not particularly tall, are you? Uh, I, yeah. I don't think, I'm just thinking, well, you know, I've spoken to you and I'm just thinking, well, you're not that tall, but you're immensely strong. Were you always physically strong? Well, that's that, well, that's uh, interesting part. I I wasn't strong. The wrestling was the reason why I got involved into weightlifting. Because when I was wrestling, and uh, I was quite a slim kid, I wasn't skinny, but I was fairly slim. And my I was fast. I was quite technical, but my weakness was a strength. So one of my coaches approached me. I says, "Right, he says you're doing well, but you need to be a bit stronger because you cannot." to hold, to execute the holds properly, you know, or submit someone. And they said, right, you know, there's a gym there. Uh, there's a guy, you know, that runs the gym. You go there and he will put you through the training. And that's how we started. I slowly starting really falling in love with weights. I like that, the feeling, you know, they were resisting the fight. And, and that made a huge impact in my wrestling performance as well. So was that more upper body work in TAS? Was it lower body? Was it both? It's overall. Overall, there's like full, there's like full body training, lots of... There was nothing fancy, all the basic compound exercises, squats, deadlifts, you know, mm -hmm. presses, Olympic lifts, lift. just a really, really old school weight, lift, weight training. Mm. As we call it, the goal was to develop the functional strength, you know. Mm -hmm. If you, for example, take a powerlifting bodybuilding, it's not functional strength. It's a strength for specific lifts, which is really different. So you you won you won junior titles, and actually competed internationally. Is that right? Yeah, we used to. <laughs> you know, the wrestling was big back in. Uh, it still is, I think. Then uh, ex-Soviet Union, like like Armenia, Uzbekistan, Azerbaijan, like Russia and all the, what they call the Eastern Bloc, like Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. So there was a plenty going on. Then <laughs> mm. the shows going on. And then used to, all the normal shows used to club against the club. Then used to go, you know, nationally, country another, against another country. So we used to a lot of traveling and we used to a lot of other guys coming from other countries to Lithuania to wrestle. And, uh, yeah, so there was a lot. You got to Olympic level. You were virtually 
selected in the team, but you had a hip injury. How did you actually do that? Was that well, an event well, in training or? No, the hip injury actually, I never actually had any serious injuries during the training well, right. but my hip injury was I had a motorbike crash. Yeah. I remember my, my, I used to live in the uh, countryside and my parents had a big kind of like a farm. And well, one of the neighbors, he was about my age and he had this really old, old fashioned motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, we used to mess around with it. And back then, you know, there was no safeties, no helmets, nothing, you know, you just sit and off you go. And uh, yeah, one of the summers I, I lost the control when flipped over the bike and just right landed on my on my backside basically and it wasn't that bad you know i kind of had to sit down for about five ten minutes to, you know to deal with the pain but mm. i managed to get up and you know when went back home and carry on but after a while after like a few days i started feeling like little aches and pains in my hip and then my uh, mother back then she noticed and says are you limping I said, well, then I explained what happened. Then she took me straight to the doctors and had it checked. And basically it was a hip injury. Right. And there was nothing, you know, they, back then there was no kind of hip, hip surgeries, hip replacement stuff. So, you know, they did what they did. And it kind of healed, but it never felt right, 100%. Mm -hmm. Even if I was feeling, I always was limping since then. So when you got to the sort of Olympic level, clearly the, the testing they would do at that time. Well, that about, yeah, but yeah, when I got to that point, the hip, you know, it was, I know I felt a lot, it was getting a bit worse, but I could still, you know, could perform. My training was fine. My competition was fine. I only, only, only time I used to feel the pain in it is day after. You know, mm -hmm. And then performing, but and when we get through the selections, you know everything went really well. At the beginning, was the five guys selected to be part of the team. Then now we're down to three, and and uh, me and the other guy actually we were selected. But until we had to go through that official processes like medical checks, and mm. and that's where they start doing X-rays and everything. They. Yeah. yeah basically they caught me <laughs> so you, you were that you were that close yeah <laughs> yeah it was and uh but i didn't realize you know that i'll kind of have to go through these kind of serious checks you know obviously they had to because you know, it's not just uh you won't be competing just for the on the local shows you know and they after after those tests you know when they Put me to decide, you know, well, I had to admit it basically. You know, there was nothing, yeah. there was no point in hiding anymore. Cause... And how, how did you how did you feel at that point? I mean, it must have been hugely disappointing to have been so close and then something that you knew you were managing and we were okay with. They've said no, you know, that that's it, you can't compete. Yeah. Well, it, it felt me like a, a slap in the face, you know. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it was a point of actual decision or that I wasn't honest from the, the beginning, you know. If I wasn't honest from the beginning, you know, they wouldn't probably wouldn't have put me for the selection uh, and I wouldn't have realized that, you know, I was that close. Mm. It would have been a lot easier to deal with it, you know, mentally. Yeah, almost not being anywhere near that 
that yeah. sort of selection you yeah, can sort exactly. of accept it but to be to be there be in that that top two and then someone in a white coat say no it's uh it, it's not going to happen I, I mean i just i can't even think how how devastating that must have been yeah. it did like i said it took me a while to you know to accept that um, mm. but i understand i think understanding from their point of view it was a right decision because yeah. they knew he's going to get a lot worse and they were right you know? so obviously later on i started realizing that and i uh, got to the point that it did start really affecting my training okay so it, so it, it got progressively worse yeah it got progressively worse and i was at that point i got to the point that i had to quit the wrestling for good and what age that, were you when that when you had to make that decision what age were you gintas when you had to make that decision that was uh i think it was night 19 yeah 19 at that time and uh, i still trained but it didn't it was nothing like you know plus you became really conscious with all this every move because you know it's there and you know mm -hmm. that any kind of unpredictable move it can cause that serious pain and obviously being so conscious about it trying to be safe it really affects your performance mm. and, uh, and it got basically got to the point i had to stop it so was it at that point when you had to stop the wrestling that you started to move into the bodybuilding or did that come later I was slowly starting doing it. Well, it, I moved first of all to powerlifting because I love weightlifting. And because uh, and, uh, at that time, I didn't understand the full, full, no, the whole idea about the bodybuilding. I mm -hmm. knew about what's involved because the bodybuilding and powerlifting is two really different things, which a lot of people think that is pretty, is very similar, but it's not. So the powerlifting was was something I wanted to do because and I was feel confident I, that I could do powerlifting because it's really mon monotonic movements there's nothing fast nothing explosive no this unpredictable movement mm. and I was coping fine with it but and again at the end of the day after think, four years it was exactly the same story as as a uh, wrestling it started getting back to me and mm. And I think the powerlifting was a reason it did make it worse. Because, you know, you're going for your maximum lifts, especially squats and deadlifts. And especially when I was trying to beat my old personal best numbers, mm. it's starting to aggravate badly. Mm. And that was, uh, and that's why I slowly transitioned to the bodybuilding. Because uh, bodybuilding does, is not, doesn't require real extremely heavy weight. You don't need to lift this single or uh, two repetitions free with your maximum weight. Bodybuilding is is totally different. You know, it's not about the strength; it's about uh, actually building the muscle, mm -hmm. lifting for hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. So that even if you take, for example, the same lift, bench press or squats or deadlift, execution is totally different in the powerlifting and bodybuilding. So bodybuilding is a lot, in my opinion, when it comes to the lifting, is a lot safer. A lot more forgiving, would you say, on on sort of on the body? Although yeah. you're still working the muscles, yeah. working them in a in a different way. Exactly. So you know, my point of powerlifting is maximal strength. Bodybuilding is hypertrophy, gaining the muscle. You know, so mm. you can you can achieve muscle gain with 
even reasonably lightweight. So as long as you know how to execute the movement correctly, so you're targeting that specific muscle. And the plus bodybuilding, you know, you have so many variety of different exercises you can do. You don't necessarily have to use a free weights, which I'm uh, at the point now where I'm, um, I'm staying away from the free weights as much as possible. So using uh, resistant machines and they, as they say, they work like a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I do miss free weights a lot, but it is how it is. Well, you, you, um, it was a change of career in 2003 because you, you got involved with the Security Industry Authority. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that gave you a close protection license. Yeah. Was that something you ever thought of before or was it? I've, I've got to do something other than what I've been doing so far. I've got to change direction. Yeah. yeah no, I was, I was back in, uh, I was in UK at that time. I, was, I remember I was living in, in Cambridge. All right. And uh, I was just working a normal job in a, in a farm back then. And I was offered, I think after about a year working there, I was offered a security job for the, one of the uh, science parks in Cambridge, I think it was. And back then, at that time, there was no licensing in security industry as well. So, you know, job, job looked to be seemed to be easy and, you know, I wanted, mm. so I took it. And I think about a year later, that's where the SAA licensing kicked in. Mm -hmm. so where, you know, if you want to be part of industry, you have to get a license. And, uh, I got my first license, normal security license, just to, uh, to carry on, to be able to carry on working. And that's when I realized they start announcing that they will be issuing license if you want to work in a close protection. Basically, fancy name for the bodyguard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, there's one of the guys, he said, oh, you know, you, you know, why, why don't you try? I think you better be good to team, you know. He says, you know, you can sort of, speak a few different languages you know get, get different different clients and yeah i decided to go for it it was it wasn't easy actually back at the time to get a close protection license you know it took me about three months because after 10 specific training courses the you have a, different checks and what did the training involve gintas that was it was it physical was it mental there was only when i started there was only two companies in uk that were offering the kind of training and one of them that on the one i went with they were based in norwich so there was a lot basically as we call it theory <laughs> you know how to from a to z you know the the threats the psychology side and then there was a driving test. Then mm -hmm. there was a basic combat test. Physical physical test was, my opinion, was a bit too easy. Right. <laughs> for you, for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because this kind of job, you know, you have to be physically fit. You know, obviously, you don't have to be to, to Olympic standards, but you know, and uh, we had to go. Attend uh, firearm training as well, which was been based in, in France, because in UK you, you cannot do the, mm -hmm. do the firearm training. So we went to spend the week in the firearm training. But, but working in UK, you don't really need it because you cannot use the firearms unless you're planning to work abroad somewhere. Yes. 
but now since then it's changed drastically those courses become so easy not even there's not even a half of training used to be and to my opinion is it's wrong it's really wrong because you know it's quite depends who you're working with you can't have a really serious job and responsibility you know mm. it's not like patrolling some shopping center you know so you you uh one of your high profile early clients was the former kurdish prime minister how did that come about yeah i was uh the course i was done with the guys the course i was doing for the company once you finish the course they're keeping your your details you know because they, mm. they were they were, had a contract different work contracts and uh, and that's about the they're starting uh, after after the course like a few months later they start offering temporary kind of jobs you know for privates for so my first job was working for some really wealthy individual in london i don't know who he was to me i think he was just a businessman right. and <laughs> no and uh, so it was five of us in the team and we just looked after his family aim driving traveling thing wherever he goes so there was no really any threat or or so i think it's more just for the overall family safety mm-hmm. uh, but then yeah they said uh, oh there's a big job going I said if you do want to be part of it in london and we got briefed there was a the former Kurdish prime minister and i believe he was uh, coming to uk to get approval from british government to accept the kurdistan as independent country from iraq Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm sure I believe that's the reason. So he was spending a lot of time in UK and he was staying in a in a Dorchester hotel, in a, just next to the Hyde Park. So mm-hmm. where, that's where we were based. So not, later, not, 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 not a bad place to be uh, be spending your time. <laughs> yeah, not a bad place, but you know, when you're spending only six, seven hours in bed in your room during the day, so you don't yeah. have, have a time much to enjoy, you know, the luxury. <laughs> we Later, you were with uh, Tony Blair. Was, yeah. was that when he was he he was no longer prime minister or what? Yeah, I believe it was the year after. Yeah, he came after, and uh, he was doing some sort of traveling for different places in UK, making speeches. And uh, there one job where when he was in London for it was a massive event in a Grange Hotel, and and I was asked if I would be interesting to, to be part of that team, which obviously I said yes, because you know, that would be really good on my CV. Mm. <laughs> but I had to go past the checks, so give it to checks. So it wasn't just another job you go in. So they had done some background checks on me and they confirmed that I'm okay. So I think it was a team, I think it was seven of us. How long were you with him? About, it's only a few days. Oh, right, okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, get on your profile yeah yeah so i spent a few you know quite some time with him in our hotel room <laughs> and, uh, so 2016 i read you, you decided to retire from the security side yeah. and look again at fitness i know obviously know where you are now which mm-hmm. is my health club maple durham mm-hmm. but what what made you change again there was a number of reasons that main reason was entire industry took the wrong turn the security industry 
And I blame this what happened during 2012 Olympics. All right. Security mm -hmm. point of view, there was a chaos. Because we worked, we worked there covering some areas and I think that at that time the major contract was handed over to G4S. Right. And G4S promised more than they could deliver. They they really had a nightmare with it, didn't they? I think um, actually at the at the venues they ended up having to pull in the the army to uh, to do some of the security because G4S couldn't couldn't fulfill the contract. Yeah. yeah. So we were one of the guys I worked for. They were one of the subcontractors from G4S. So basically, G4S, they offered more security guards than they licensed security guards in entire Britain. Right. So, so by the time they realized what they did, security authority, what they did, they just start dishing out the security license to whoever wants. Doing five, six days course, off you go. And that's, so when you, they, and that's when they flooded the industry with, with bad standards, you know. So when you first qualified, you did a three-month training just yeah, for that inspection. Yeah, that was for the close protection because close yeah. protection and basic security is, is, is quite different. Okay. But even then, you know, even the basic security when you start off, there was really long, a lot longer course. And you know, there was quite a serious exam. So, you know, it wasn't just for everyone. And by but 2012, was, they're just churning them yeah. out almost five days. And, yeah. you know, there you go. Yeah. And that was, that's where the security entire industry, my opinion, went down a hill, as they say, drastically. Mm. The standards became poor, you know. Obviously, they flooded the market with a cheap, what we call it, a cheap force. And... Uh, all the money start going down because it's so much personnel and then nobody wanted to pay really good money they just paid the lowest price they could just so they could get anything just anyone almost sort of supply and demand there was too yeah. much supply and not enough demand it drove the price down yeah and like i said price dropped quality dropped and uh and no, that was the main reason why i decided to yeah, so bring it bring it right up to date. You're at Maple Durham. You're a wellness coach, as they call it these days. And and how's that working for you? Because you also have an online nutrition and fitness business as well, coaching business. Yeah. You run those two things together. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, I do like Maple Durham. Is is I find it because I work from a few temporary few over different places as a trainer. I find that Maple Durham is really different environment than most of it. People really, really different people, and it's quite interesting to work with if the people that are there. And to me, it's kind of it's a good learning curve as well because they're communicating with anyone, and that people can you know come up with different issues. Yes, and, and it's mm -hmm. not just like an ordinary gym where all the young guys you know just throwing weights around, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's quite a a, a, a broad age profile uh, as a club, uh, even within the group, I think it is there. And obviously you've got the golf element to it as well as the fitness side. So that's where I obviously came into contact with you, heard about you and first talked to you. Uh, but that 
is that a means to something else? I mean, is is the nutrition and fitness side something you really want to develop? Or, or well, nutrition. I've, I really took started taking nutrition seriously when I was first time decided to take bodybuilding seriously, because that's in a bodybuilding nutrition is the is the key basically. Yes. You know? And. And that's when I realized the importance of nutrition, not just you know, for the performance, for the, for the muscle gain or leanness, just uh, psychological effects, the health effects of, the, of yeah. correct nutrition protocols. Mm-hmm. And, uh, since then, I became really fascinated. And, uh, and then I studied for a while and uh, got a degree as a nutrition coach. And I'm doing it since then. And decided to launch my online coaching for the nutrition and fitness. So... I have a few, quite a few online clients. So, and I find uh, online coaching is more rewarding than working face to face as a trainer. Okay. Yeah, simply because you know, because as a coach, I can offer more to people when you work as an online client. For example, if you work on a gym floor as a trainer, one to one, you know, you deal with that person for the session and you're not gonna see him, you know, for the next session until the next session, you know, and it's all about, you know, you just give him exercises to do, tell him what to do, how to do it, and just counting the reps. Which so could, could end up being a week between you doing your session with the client there and mm-hmm. seeing him or her the next week. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, which online online coaching is totally it's a lot different, you know. You, you work with people from nutrition side, you're learning about their, their habits, you know, their issues, you're trying to you know, fix in the diet and uh, progressing, you know, design, doing the diet plans or training plans. Yeah. And if you offer more because your client pays one monthly fee and they, they can get in touch with you anytime. If they have any issues, you know, they want to change something. And it's just, it's not, you're not just, don't just training people, you're, you're trying to educate and change mm. life. So they have a good lifestyle changes. So to me, I think I find it's a lot more rewarding. It's interesting. Now, uh, it, clearly the, we, our listeners may well be interested in, in a lot of what you've said, because it's an interesting uh, uh, lifestyle and profile. But if, if particularly on the nutrition and fitness side, they wanted to get in touch, you've got a website. So I haven't got actually a website yet. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm procrastinating with it a bit. I was planning to. <laughs> how, how would they best get in touch with you? Uh, I run my coaching at the moment from Instagram. Okay. So finding it's a really excellent, excellent platform at the moment, better than Facebook and the other yeah. social media. So it's good when. Run, run, you know, coaching or whatever business you want to do. Mm-hmm. Instagram is a good marketplace. So I run through there. So if anyone wants to get in touch with me, just find my profile. They just simply message me through there. And what is your profile, Gintas, just so that uh, people can find it? Uh, it's quite simple. It's Gintas training altogether. Okay, yeah. So, and uh, even if people don't want to have a coaching from me, it's public profile. I try to do at least three, four weekly posts, educational posts, whatever is about training, nutrition, or slightly psychological side, or kind of motivational side. So anyone can access it freely if they want. And uh, 
and that's where the majority of my clients came from, from Instagram. Mm -hmm. good, good luck, Gintas. I really appreciate your time tonight and, and the fascinating story. It's not often you can combine all of those two things, all of those many things into one profile. We appreciate your time and, and hopefully you're somebody we can come back to if we're talking about weightlifting or nutrition yeah. at another yeah. occasion. Yeah? yeah, sure. Anytime. And uh, it was nice chatting to you. Thanks for inviting me. No, thank you, Gintas. Great to meet you. And uh, yeah, you know, really fascinating story. And uh, yeah, you know, good luck with good luck with that. And, uh, you know, as a fellow procrastinator, then I, I'm rooting <laughs> for you to get that website up and running. Yeah, good. I'll do my best. <laughs> Cheers, Gintas. Thank Have you very thank much. You. Have a good night. Thank you. See Take you care. Bye. 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 Well, that's great, isn't it? We're, you know, fascinating career that Gintas had. And, and, you know, I think it's really useful to get an insight like that, but you just don't get that kind of combination. That's the lovely thing about null and void. If you just said we're going to get a weightlifting, wrestling, security man, you say, well, where's he going to come from? Yeah, but lovely. Uh, and then add on to that personal training and nutrition and fitness as well. It's yeah. sort of, it's a, uh, I don't think we'll find many people with that same CV as Ginzats. <laughs> no, and the other thing that... Uh, is really good news, and this is uh, a null and void side. Is he brings rest, wrestling alongside his other attributes, and and wrestling and weightlifting. You know, now so, are, are they Olympic big... sports, Tony? Just remind me. A rest. I think wrestling and weightlifting might be Olympic sports. I I think even if they weren't, I'd almost claim them for our Olympic challenge. Yeah, I I can <laughs> definitely and categorically state that they are Olympic sports. And that means that, Gintas, thank you. You've helped us tick another two off. And actually, yeah. I'm going to really push things here and a little bit of self-promotion and say we can tick a third off because although it's not quite the same, the marathon walking, but the men's event in the Olympics is 50K. Oh. And I do believe there was a 50K walk completed by one of us that might have been mentioned once or twice through the show. <laughs> so yeah. I think we can tick another three off our Olympic challenge. So yeah. that takes us down That's... to 31 to go. 31, just the 31 to go <laughs> before Christmas. Well, as ever, we really value your comments. You may have more from tonight. I'm sure you will. But so don't forget to listen out for the contact details at the end of this podcast. Be there next week at a time and a place to suit you. But be there. Definitely, folks. And remember, if you've got any other voice of sport to add to the ones that Barry Wood sent through or any of your favourite memories of commentators who made the sport and enriched it for you, then please do get in touch. We love to hear about that. And likewise, like I said last week, if you have any interest in any of those other 31 sports that we're trying to tick off before Christmas and you'd, you'd like to come on and talk to us about it, share your stories, your experience in them, then do please get in touch. We absolutely love all of the guests that come on, bring such interesting, amazing stories that it's great to have those discussions and conversations. And obviously it's a bonus that you're helping us tick off more of those Olympic sports before Christmas. Yeah. Okay, guys. See you later. Thanks see a lot. Take care. Bye. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. 
If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on n and v at forthenow.co.uk.